Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Hey, how's it going, folks? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, which, whichever one of those that you are currently in. Welcome! And in case you stumbled here by accident, you've actually found your way onto Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. That's home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and a stack of other places where you get your podcasts from. And now that you're here, you may as well stick around because we have a banger of a show for you this week. First, the all-important introductions, of course. My name is Glenn Cochran, the host of this whole damn schmozzle, and riding shotgun is the resident handyman, Mr. Ben Halwig. G'day, Ben. How's things, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, we're in the middle of uh, Monster Fest uh, as we speak, so um, it's all hands on deck, but uh, yeah, pretty good. Stressful time, and, and yet you still manage to uh, find the time to join me. Oh, as always, I make time, mate. I make time for this show. <laughs> That's what good mates do. Who else is going to tell the truth about James Bond films if I'm not on the show? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and just as I alluded to, this episode is one with absolute bang for bark. Yeah, we have two amazing interviews lined up for you. In a few moments' time, we've got writer-director David Marmer, who will be swinging by to discuss his brand new film, Apartment 1BR, which hits DVD in Australia from today. And a little later on in the show, we'll be talking to the king of B-movies, the legend himself, Uncle Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Entertainment, whose latest film, Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, played at Monsterfest over the weekend. And if you are a Troma fan, then you're definitely going to want to hang out for that one. Uh, of course, we're going to also be cramming in the regular stuff from Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, and the boys from Bonehead Weekly. So without further delay, let's get cracking. He was created out of violence and horror. He exists only to destroy the evil around him. He can't be reasoned with or bargained with. He can't be stopped. So if you've been bad, look out. He's your worst nightmare come true. If you've been bad, he'll get you good. Rated R. Big news for Melbourne, Ben. Feeling a bit like Ash at the end of the director's cut of Army of Darkness. We emerge from our caves after what feels like eons of lockdown. And while it's uh, it's, dis- it's disappointing to find out the cinemas are still left off the agenda for reopening, we can at least take some solace in the fact that the drive-ins are back on the scene. Oh, yes. You're a fan of the drive-in, surely. I do. I love a good drive-in. I love uh, anything that uh, allows me to look at my phone without bothering other patrons or other patrons looking at their phones without bothering me. Uh, or whack off. Or... Yeah, sure. If you if you can't find anyone to do it for you, then you take care of things yourself. That's the drive-in is generally not a solo affair. I mean, you know, I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather stay home if I'm just gonna I'm just gonna whack off. <laughs> I get to choose the film. 
<laughs> That's true, um, unless the program is exceptionally special. But, um, dude, before you joined the show, we used to do a weekly whip around segment where we'd look at all the screenings for the week. And, um, you know, I've been particularly excited about the Lunar Drive Ins reopening. Uh, which is one that we talked about a lot. And last weekend, they kicked things off with a bang with a, a heap of cool films like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Goodfellas, and Craft Legacy. But they also celebrated Halloween with the triple Hang feature on. marathon of. Hang on a second. Look, I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but did you just <laughs> I say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> did you just say, like, was it Goodfellas, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then in the same breath. The craft legacy, as if that is of a caliber with those first two films you mentioned. What I was actually doing is trying to help them promote a new release. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Look, Feruza Bulk <laughs> is in it, so it, you know it gets. It's already got a partial thumb up for me. But uh, is she in Legacy? I believe so. I thought her name was in the uh, in the credits. It could just be in a flashback. She may not be in any of the new. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. She may not. Be, it may just all be. Yeah. <laughs> as I was getting to though, they did have a triple feature on as well of Saw, Evil Dead Two, and The Fog, and I can't think of a Hang better way to fog? the original. The original. So why would you bang Saw in there? Why would you have two two <laughs> classic horror films and then bang bang in a modern <laughs> mess? <laughs> all right, Ben, brace yourself for this one because the best news of all is that Lunar Driving are back on board with the show. And uh, and for the first prize of the night, we have a double pass to give away. So jump on board our Facebook page and share uh, share your favorite driving experience, I guess. Use the hashtag uh, Good Movie Monday with your story and we will announce winner on next week's show. So that kind of that kind of threw you off your axis a little bit there, mate. Not really. I, I don't care. Like, I don't know. <laughs> The last time, the last time I went to the, I used to love going to the Lunar Drive. And the last time I went was when I went to see The Quiet Place. And The Quiet Place is not a movie to see at the drive-in because nobody turns up in time. So you're watching a movie that's all about silence and yet you've got cars driving all around you with their headlights flashing in your windows. Like, Come on, man. Show a little respect for the filmmakers. Oh, and then you've got the sound of some guy fapping in the corner. Yeah. Like into his popcorn. Like, why? <laughs> you can't do the popcorn trick by yourself. You know it's there. You know what's you know what's at the bottom. It's not a surprise. Oh, I... <laughs> uh, Luna also have a huge lineup of films this week. So jump onto the Luna Drive In uh, website or just uh, hit Google and it'll take you there. Uh, dude, I'm ready for Jarrett. How about you? I tell you what I love about the Luna Drive In. That their, <laughs> okay. their candy shop, their restaurant is like the food is outrageously cheap. It's outrageously good. And I find myself going to the snack bar more times at the Lunar Drive-In than, uh, than any other cinema. And that includes when Hoyt's used to do La Premiere and you could go back for free popcorn. It's like, I'm not doing that. They have just invested $3 million into that. Into the candy bar? Yes. Jesus. Huge. We reported on that um, back in the early days of the show before lockdown. So. Oh, was I was I on that show? No. Oh, well, that's, that's why you that's didn't why know didn't about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, no sooner has Halloween passed and the festive season is upon us. You can tell this because you can hear Mariah Carey belting out 
All I Want For Christmas over the speakers at your local shopping center. You can hear it from a couple k's away. You can hear it from a postcode away. That voice is fucking piercing. Also, the stench of vagrant piss in alleyways is only getting stronger. And then, of course, the racks of your local home entertainment store are being piled and piled upon by reissues, repacks, and box sets of popular selling titles from the last 12 months, two years, three years. And look, I'm cool with that because if you're thinking about giving someone the gift of home entertainment this Christmas, then you are an absolute fucking star because you're keeping physical media alive. Plus, you're showing someone that you care about them by selecting something that you think they may be into. So my hat's off to you. That said, I'm not going to be covering any of the repacks, reissues, or box sets that are coming out this week because there is like 20, maybe 30 of them, and they're going to continue to come right through till the end of November. Rather, let's focus on some key titles coming out this week. And first up, we've got Apartment 1BR coming out from Eagle Entertainment. Now, this is the film formerly known as 1BR. It's been retitled to Apartment 1BR in Australia and the UK. It is the very same film, and it is an excellent film. We had a Play Monster Fest last year. It was one of my programming picks, and it was one of my favourite films of last year. It's a paranoia-infused thriller that I'm not going to tell you too much about because if I do, it could ruin something. It is a fantastic psychological thriller that orders on horror and there is some very dark moments in the movie I couldn't recommend it enough and that's coming out on DVD from Eagle Entertainment then Umbrella have the lion's share of awesome releases this week starting off with Quentin Dupo's Deerskin now if you're not familiar with Quentin's work he's the director behind such films as Rubber, Wrong, Wrong Cops, Reality, Reality being my favourite Deerskin is his latest and it is incredible. I'd say that Deer Skin could quite possibly be his most accessible work outside of Ron Pops, but I don't really include that because it wasn't a great film. Um, Deer Skin is phenomenal. It is, uh, it is funny. It is warped. And uh, it's instantly quotable, but it is in the French language as well. So you'll probably find yourself doing a silly little French accent like Inspector Clouseau. Anyway, that one's coming out on DVD and Blu-ray. And it's actually, I believe, a global first on Blu-ray with English subtitling because it's been released in France already but there's no English subtitles. Moving on to another title from Umbrella, Half-Baked. It's making its global Blu-ray debut and Umbrella have seen fit to load it with all the special features that were on the fully baked DVD edition. Um, this movie's crazy good. It's got Dave Chappelle, it's got Harlan Williams. If you haven't seen Half-Baked, you haven't lived, but I'm sure you've seen it. But you may not remember it because you're possibly too stoned. Anyway, check it out. Then there's Coco, A Red Dog Story, which is the true story of Coco the dog that played Red Dog in the Red Dog movies. However, this isn't a documentary. It's a mockumentary, but it's a really heartfelt one, and it's excellent. Umbrella releasing it on DVD, which is awesome, because this film had a very limited theatrical release. And then it had a digital release, but no physical release anywhere in the world. So Umbrella putting it out on DVD, and it is loaded with special features also. So it's definitely worth checking out. Now, I said I know I would not talk about reissues, but I will briefly touch on just a handful. Because Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment have a couple. That's because they're distributing Paramount's titles. And Paramount have picked up the Lionsgate catalogue, which means they've picked up the Lion's share. God, that's a terrible pun, of Quentin Tarantino's back catalogue. So we're seeing Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 come out again because they're under the Miramax catalogue, which is falling under this. Then we've got Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction coming out. But the good news about that is that the Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction releases that are making their way to Blu-ray are ports of the US release, which are infinitely better versions than their previously available Roadshow releases. Uh, but yeah, so I did touch on some reissues. Sorry about that. But anyway, that's it for me this week. Until next time, stay physical. 
Ah, uh, mate, we we briefly discussed Apartment One BR on the show several weeks ago. Uh, it screened at Monster Fest last year. It certainly did, and it was one of Jarrett's favourites. I know that for a fact. He talked about it last week mm-hmm. on the show. Yes, that they, is correct. I I too enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. I think I think it's quite an exceptional film. And as I said, I don't like the Apartment One BR part. I like when it, the original title One BR makes complete sense to me. I don't understand the need to have changed and add the. Look, nor do I, and um, look, it's not, I, I don't think it's in the interview itself, but I did speak to David about that. He's not too phased about it. He also didn't think it made a lot of sense because, you know, one BR means something that is contrast to yeah. apartment. But uh, nevertheless, I guess um, they just felt it maybe rolled off the tongue a little more for a home entertainment release here. Yeah. I don't know. But um, David will be up in a few minutes to talk about the movie. Uh, but speaking of... 1BR, it's essentially a one-setting kind of film, more or less. And so I thought, you know, let's have a little bit of a discussion about some movies that are set in one location. Some that just initially come to my mind is William Friedkin's Bug, which is actually written by Tracy Letts, which I think that in itself is an amazing combo. And then you factor in Michael Shannon. Very cool film. Uh, And one I talk about on the show a lot is Roman Polanski's Death and the Maiden. Now, perhaps I talked about it a lot before you came along because it's one that used to, I used to rile Keith up about. <laughs> I've never actually seen the film. I've seen the play that it's based on. Oh, you're a lucky bastard then, man, because I would love to see the play. Yeah, it, funnily enough, they it, it was like a it was like Chapel of Chapel. There was a production I yeah. saw at Chapel of Chapel. Um, and it was like a, a local theatre group and a friend of mine was stage managing, I think it, uh, I think it, that's why I went to see it and it was great. And I didn't realize, I, I don't know if it was even was called death in the maid. I can't remember what the actual, well, maybe it was, but I remember watching it going, hang on a second. This is the film. And I hadn't even seen the film. I'd only seen the trailer. <laughs> it's a full on story, but it's fantastic. But some other favorites that come to my mind are cube and buried with, um, who was in buried Ryan Reynolds. Uh, M. Night I always get film devil. I always get buried and uh, cellular mixed up because they came out around the same time and they'll both both had people Phone. buried with phones <laughs> kind of thing yeah <laughs> yeah totally and of course i can't i can't sort of have this discussion without mentioning rear window and rope the two hitchcock classics and lifeboat actually that just popped into my mind yeah indeed yeah um but if i were to ask you to sort of reel off some to come to mind and then stop on just one to recommend what would you come up with well i mean look things like of course Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, we kind of already mentioned that uh, earlier today. Um, Attack the Block, I don't know if that kind of, like I'm thinking of more apartment-based ones because 1BR obviously uh, takes place yep. in, in an apartment block. So things sure. like uh, Shivers and High Rise uh, were pretty good. Devil's Tower that we released with uh, Jason Mewes and Roxanne, uh, what's her name? Roxanne That's Mosquito? Right. Roxanne Markland? I can't remember what her last name is. Roxanne McKee. No, no. Roxanne something or another. Palinord, maybe? I can't remember. I know it had the it had the woman who played who was the her mother in the film is played by the uh the woman who was the original uh Cosette in the West End production of Les Mis. And I remember thinking, oh my god, like she's proper and she's in this film. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's uh maybe I should because I I don't I don't always watch all of the, <laughs> the films it's quite, we release. It's quite, a, it's quite a tangent you've fallen down there. Yeah, I, you know, I suppose. Should we say The Devil's Tower is the one I'm going to focus on? Really, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the, one, the one that kind of, that, that 
I kind of most relate to 1BR, I guess, is the invitation, which came out a couple of years prior, just because of the 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 kind of endings that are, are fairly yeah. similar, I guess, in some of the themes in concept. Yeah. But uh, I mean, otherwise completely different films. Uh, that one I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I wasn't expecting to. I, I, I actually had put off watching it for quite a while. Uh, and then when I finally got around to it, I was surprised uh, by how much I enjoyed it. Actually, I really liked, uh, I just kind of, like a, I completely forgot things like Ready or Not, which we played mm-hmm. at Monsterverse last year as well, yes. is, a, is a one location film. And uh, You're Next. Hell yeah. Uh, even A lot of those home invasion ones. Yeah. Even things like uh, um, The Last Supper. It's a one oh, yeah. one location yeah, yeah. film, and uh, uh, that's I mean that's pretty good. That's a that was a great yeah. idea for a film. Absolutely, the one that uh, comes to my mind the most. Uh, I mentioned Cube before, but Vincenzo Natale had another one called Nothing, which starred David Hewitt and Andrew Miller, who were both in Cube, and they both yeah. wrote this one. Well, David Hewitt doesn't last too long in Cube. That's true, but this, this nothing is about as experimental as it gets, and it's kind of stupid. Eighty, what ninety eight percent of the film is set against white screen or sort of. Yeah, I remember you know. the, the the cover at the video store when it came out, and it was just like just two white. guys and just a white. <laughs> Yeah. So the gist of it essentially is two guys, two guys start wishing things didn't exist and it it actually happens. And then the more they wish away, I guess they kind of wish themselves into oblivion and then it becomes stupid because they start getting argumentative and then, you know, just combating each other and what they can make disappear. And it just turns into nothing. Just two guys with nothing left. With nothing left. No, it's a, it's a, it was an incredibly clever idea. Actually, I was thinking now, it's actually one of the other, uh, movies that we released uh, that's set in a single location is LFO, which I mean it does get a little does get a little rapey and a bit uh, disturbing, uh, but it's about this guy who he's in a kind of trapped in a fairly I think he's I think he's married actually I think he's in a, a bit of an unhappy marriage kind of thing he spends all his time in his basement working on sound yep. and he finally creates he figures out this pitch that will allow him to. It makes people uh, heavily susceptible to suggestion. And at first right. he kind of tries it on his, you know, successful neighbors and his uh, friends. And then it kind of slowly gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he starts like broadcasting it. He buys like, you know, 20 seconds of television <laughs> ad and puts it out on the uh-huh. airways and basically takes over the world. It was a pretty, pretty so was that, little film. Was that, was that released in Australia as unit LFO? <laughs> No, just just LFO. Yeah, no. <laughs> we we decided uh, against all logic to uh, leave the film's title as the filmmakers had intended. Uh, well, anyway, uh, let's hey, let's play a song and then we'll take a listen to my conversation with David Mama. Uh, this one is a real beauty. It's one of my favourites. It's uh, from a one location film. It's from the soundtrack to Dog Day Afternoon. It's out in John's Amarina. I'm a 
having played with acclaim at last year's Monster Fest, the unassuming and convincing horror thriller movie 1BR is finally getting an Australian release through our friends at Eagle Entertainment. Now, this is a fantastic film. It taps into some really classic themes, all while presenting a fresh and compelling story unto its own. The director of 1BR is David Mama, and he is on the line right now to talk about the movie. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, Glenn, it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to be with us on the show. Um, it's a thrill to have you, and 1BR is such a nightmarishly fun movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really did. I mean... <laughs> um, am I right to assume that, that you've been through hell as a tenant yourself? Yeah, you, that's, that's, uh, that is an accurate assumption. Um, yeah, the movie really came out of the first apartments I lived in when I moved to L.A., um, you know, quite a long time ago now, but I was, I was a lot like Sarah, the protagonist in the movie. I was, I was young. I was moving down here to kind of follow my dreams and I wasn't a particularly confident person and I'd never really lived in a giant city like LA, you know, on my own before. And I moved into one of these apartment complexes that are just ubiquitous in LA. Um, they're very beautiful. They're, there's a courtyard and, you know, everything's sunny and, and pleasant and you're, you're waving to your neighbors. And I, there was just something about it that I found super creepy. Um, you know, you don't know anybody's name. You, you know, you, you wave to the same people every day, but you never, it never goes further than that, right? And, you, you know, I, I moved in there and I realized I was sharing walls with these people. I, you know, if, if something disastrous happened, I would need to turn to them for help and I didn't know who they were. Um, you know, and, and I remember actually the, the very first night I moved in, um, I, I, you know, I got my bed set up or I, I might've even just had a mattress on the floor or something. And I, and I was trying to go to sleep and then I just heard these like stomping footsteps over my head and it went on for hours, just like somebody walking back and forth. And I, I remember just thinking like, I'm never going to sleep again. Um, so that, that was really kind of the, the seed of, of the idea. Um, and then, you know, th there are other elements in the movie that yeah, I don't want to spoil for anyone, but I, I got very interested in sort of those aspects as well. And, and that sort of combined with this initial feeling to, to, you know, and then I suddenly felt like, okay, th there's a movie here. Yeah, for sure. And for listeners of ours who haven't seen it or even perhaps haven't heard of it, can you give a brief teaser synopsis for them? Yeah, it's really difficult to do without spoiling anything um and and i do feel like the movie is best seen knowing as little as possible um but the the basic uh setup is sarah is this young woman um she comes from a, you know kind of a privileged background but she has uh, a kind of a bad relationship with her father there's a lot of history there and she's she's moving across the country to la both to get away from him and also to kind of try to start her own life uh, as a costume designer for movies um, but it's, you know, it's not going too well at first and she's trying to find a place to live and kind of lucks into this apartment complex that, that seems to, to offer a lot of what she is craving. It's, it's a very friendly place and, you know, it's, it, she's got this nice one bedroom apartment of her own. Um, but then pretty soon after moving in, um, she starts having trouble sleeping and, you know, some other things start happening that make her a little bit question it. And, um, and then things really go sideways, and I don't want to go any further than that, I guess. Well, nicely done. I can, I can tell you've, you've told that story many times. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I've told that I've at least like, you know, I've probably watched the movie a hundred times or something at this point. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just a collection of shapes and colors to me. The film played down here at Monster Fest uh, last year and it was really well received. How's the response been just generally around the world? You know, I, I am continually surprised by how well it's been received. Um, you know, this was my first feature. It's also the first, um, you know, I wouldn't even actually classify it as, as traditional horror, but um, it's the first horror movie I've ever done. Um, and I have been so just like, uh, I've been so grateful to the, the horror community. Like it, it's such a, a warm community of fans. They really embrace the movie, even as it's kind of unusual, I think for a horror movie um, and championed it and talked about it. And like, you know, we, I kept sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, we went to Fantasia Fest for our premiere and it got a great response there and great reviews. And I kept waiting for the, you know, for it to go somewhere else where it wasn't going to play as well. Cause it's a very specific movie. It's, it's very LA based, but I think there is a universality to that experience of, of moving to a new place and, and, you know, starting out on your own and people seem to have just responded to it. And I, you know, I'm just, I've been so I felt so lucky and and so grateful. Yes, and I think like without saying anything about it, I think there's some of those classic themes there that people connect to as well, and that's probably it catches them off guard and and really sort of helps them support the film, you know, just because they're excited about being taken by surprise. Yeah, yeah, that's been you know a, a common theme is that is people saying like I, I didn't know anything about this when I went in and, and I was really surprised. And, you know, so that's, that's why I, you know, we, we went back and forth with our distributor who are, are great dark sky in the U S and, and Eagle in, in, uh, in Australia. And when we were originally doing the trailer with dark sky, we drove them crazy. Cause we were just like, you gotta take all these spoilers out. Like it's so hard to make a trailer without spoiling it. And yeah. I think they, they, in the end, they did a great job, but like, I, I, we all felt it was really important to try to have people go in sort of not knowing what some of the secrets are. And I suppose when you're so attached to the film because you've created it, you've watched it so many times, those spoilers are obvious to you, but maybe in the trailer, <laughs> they're not to anyone else, you know, it's, it's a hard balance. Yeah, it really is. Cause you know, you, you want to show enough to intrigue people. Right. Um, and you know, if you, if you really wanted to avoid every spoiler, you could only show basically like the first 25 minutes of the movie yeah. and that wouldn't really give anyone a flavor of what it was going to be. And I think, yeah, I think they really balanced it well. Like you, you know, again, like you said, like I, I know where all the twists are, so everything seems obvious, but like, you know, looking at it, trying to look at it with the eye of someone who doesn't know, I think a lot of the stuff that happens in the trailer, you're just like, what? Oh, yeah. that's weird, but I don't know what that is. It's intrigue. Yeah. Yeah particularly when some of the most striking images in the film are, you know, in that element of it. Yeah. So I think it's certainly the film, I think arrived at a really good moment in sort of movie you know, time because it, it fits comfortably along so many, so many other films, you know, like just to name some hereditary kill list, um, even get out. Um, were you aware of a shift towards, you know, this particular kind of cinema at the time? No, the funny thing is um, this script has been, kicking around for a long time. Like I started writing it um, probably 10 years ago or more. Um, so I think it's one of these things where, you know, it just, the timing of it was just really lucky. Um, you know, I, I was not in a, you know, when I wrote it, I was not in a place to actually get a movie made. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready to direct a feature, frankly. Um, and, 
you know, and then a number of other things happened in my career. I, I basically gave up directing and, and focused on being a writer. And that ended up leading me to these managers, um, Allard Cantor and Jared Murray at Epicenter, um, who asked, you know, what else can you show us? And I didn't have anything at the moment. So I gave them this old script. And to my surprise, they really responded to it um, and said, you know, we think we can get you set up to direct this. So, you know, this and, and even that was probably 2016. Um, wow. you know, so that's, I think that's pre get out. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's, you know, it just, these things take so long to, to put together that you can't really try to time it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it seems like sort of like the culture and my sensibility just kind of magically aligned. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm obviously like super flattered to be even thought of in the company of movies like Hereditary and Get Out, which I think are, you know, destined to be classics. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, you know, it's a compliment I'm happy to give because that's how I definitely see it. And, um, I think the entire cast in this film too have a really great comprehension of your vision and sort of end goal. Um, Nicole Bright and Bloom is particularly excellent in the lead. Was this her first feature? This was her first feature film, I think. And how? Yeah, I mean, she. I think she had had small roles in in feature films, and she'd done a number of TV episodes. This was certainly her first lead, um, yeah. and I think her first major role in a in a feature. Um, did you know about her beforehand, or was there an audition process? How many women there, did you audition? Oh, I mean, so many. <laughs> we saw so many people. We saw, uh, you know, a, a large number of people in person, and then um, we saw a lot of people on tape. And uh, Nicole is New York based, so we only saw her on tape. Um, but yeah, as soon as I saw her audition, you know, she went to the top of my list because um, she's just she, there's just something. I mean, she's perfect, right? She's just she she is Sarah. She is the way I always felt Sarah was. Um, and then I could tell from the audition that she was really smart. She had made choices. I had specifically given very difficult scenes, um, for the audition where, you know, because Sarah very often has to be kind of doing multiple things at once, right? There are like conflicting feelings going on. Um, and I gave scenes like that and, you know, it was very few people, even quite good actors. It was very few people who got it you know, just off the page and, and could bring that. And she did, um, you know, well, a couple things. One funny thing is we didn't end up casting her initially. Um, the producers had an opportunity to cast a woman who um, was relatively well-known was the star of her own TV show and was interested in the role and who I felt was completely wrong for the part. Mm. Um, but you know, they sat me down, it was like me and like five producers and they were like, look, you know, we're a tiny movie if we cast her, we're immediately, you know, in, in a, in a higher, in a higher, in a bigger league. And I couldn't argue with that. They were putting up the money. Um, so I said, you know, I will, I will do everything I can to make this work. Um, you know, they heard my objections and they said, we understand, but we got to do it. Um, and so we went down the road with her and I was actually feeling better about it. You know, I'd worked with her a little bit and, um, and then something like four or five days before we were supposed to start shooting, she just dropped out. Wow. Um, no explanation. And I think, you know, we were shooting, it was a very difficult shoot. We, we had 15 days, just super fast. Um, and we were shooting over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my suspicion is in the end, she just decided like, I don't want to give up my Christmas break. You know, like she was, it was on her break between shooting this TV show. Yeah. Um, and I think she just decided she didn't feel like it. Um, and almost, it almost destroyed the, the production. Wow. Um, 
but then at that point, you know, they were so desperate. I was like, Hey, can we give Nicole a call? <laughs> and they did. And, and luckily she, you know, just said yes immediately. I think, I think they offered her the part on like a Thursday and she flew out to LA on, on the next day. Yeah. Um, and by then, you know, we were like two days from shooting. So we got something like three hours to rehearse. Um, and then this is the other part of this, you know, as, as skilled as I knew she was and as right for the part as I knew she was, you know, I'd never worked with her. I'd never met her really. Yeah. And you don't know what someone's going to be like in that situation. Right. And we got so lucky. I mean, she is such a lovely person. She was so professional. It was all about the work. She got the script immediately and she is uncannily skilled. Like, you know, we, we were moving so fast. We had a couple of setups per scene and usually could do two or three takes. And you, you know, you've seen some of the intense places she goes to. Yeah. She would get there on the first take, you know, and, and then, and then I had this luxury. I could say, well, let's try something else for take two, you know, which you don't get on a movie like this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know that we could have finished the movie without her, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all on screen. Like it shows. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. Like I really, I, th I feel like she should be a star. Yeah. Oh, hopefully she will be. Um, yeah. And finally, here's, uh, here's an interesting thing I want to know is that I think that 1BR has the potential to become an origin story. Do you have plans to expand upon it? You know, uh, I, I, I'm actually probably not allowed to say too much about it, but I, we, we were certainly having those conversations. Um, we, um, you know, the, the movie has performed better than, than I think anybody expected based on kind of how, how tiny it was. Um, it did really well on VOD in the US. It's, it's been doing well around the world. And we just debuted last month on Netflix um, and had this just surreal week where it, it went into the top 10 and then the top five. And then for one day, it was the number one movie on Netflix in the US, um, which is, I still like, I cannot believe that. Um, but since then the, there have been, you know, the producers are starting to have really serious thoughts about, about yeah. a sequel. And, you know, I certainly, I have a lot more I can say about this world. Like, you know, as you said, like, you know, the, the things sort of change at the end and I, you know, there's definitely, I feel like there, there are opportunities to look both backward to the origins and also forward and, you know, continue the story. Absolutely. Now, well, for everybody listening, uh, we do have copies of 1BR to give away. So keep listening to the show and we'll let you know how you can score a copy soon. But for now, David, it's been awesome chatting with you today. Really appreciate your time. It's a great film and I cannot wait for everyone down here to, um, to get their eyes on it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Oh, man, how good was that? What a champion. Uh, everybody listening should definitely consider that to be an official recommendation. Apartment 1BR, now available on DVD thanks to our friends at Eagle Entertainment. And we have two copies to give away. Uh, the first two people who can identify that TV spot earlier in the show, just send your answers to glenn at fakechamp.net and good luck. And um, you get to hear more of David tomorrow night on our Facebook and YouTube pages where he joins me for a super fun Round of Rapid Fire, which he actually um, has a weird fixation on ice cream for some reason. So Ben and Jerry's? I guess I have the fixation on ice cream because I'm the one asking the questions. But uh, Ben, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I've been recently getting into the uh, Murray Street... Uh, what's that? The peanut brittle? The Murray Street Ooh. peanut brittle one? Uh, that's uh, 
that's doing the rounds at my house at the moment. Very nice. Very Heck nice. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm quite recently. I've been quite taken by the Netflix and chill flavor of uh, Ben and Jerry's, which is kind of peanut butter and pretzel and chocolate and this bit of this and bit of that. It's damn is it, good. Are you supposed to have sex with it? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that why it's called I Netflix took- and chill? Is it? I took my tub to the drive-in and had a good time. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the past week, kicking off with The Meg 2. That's right, Warner Brothers is moving ahead with a sequel to the 2018 Jason Statham vs. Giant Shark flick. The first film was directed by John Turtletaub, known for National Treasure and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. This time they're going in a very different direction, at least with director Ben Wheatley, whose credits include horror thriller kill list seriously if you can stomach it watch that one dystopian thriller high rise action comedy free fire and the just released netflix gothic drama rebecca jason satan will be back as expert sea diver and naval captain jonas taylor and as reported by the hollywood reporter is said to be creatively involved in the follow-up as well the original film's three screenwriters are attached to the sequel, Dean Jorgaris penned the initial draft, and John and Eric Hober have written the most recent. Although the film received middling reviews, 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.6 score on IMDb, it was a box office hit. The Meg chomped up over 530.2 million worldwide from a budget of around 130 million. That's why there's a sequel. Jessica Chastain and Anne Hathaway have signed up to star in a psychological thriller titled Mother's Instinct, a remake of a 2018 Belgian film, itself based on a novel by Barbara Abel. The film will be set in the 1960s and will have Chastain and Hathaway playing neighbours and best friends who lead similarly idyllic lives with successful husbands and sons of the same age. Everything takes a turn following a tragic accident shattering the harmony between the two women and leading to a battle of wills as guilt, suspicion and paranoia rise to the surface. The original film's director and co-writer Olivia Masset de Passa will again be directing, this time from an English language screenplay adaptation by Sarah Conrad, known for 50 States of Fright. The 2018 film was highly acclaimed in Belgium, winning a record 9 awards at the country's equivalent of the Academy Awards, including Best Film, Director, Actress and Script. Mads Mikkelsen and Army Hammer will be starring in a Cold War thriller titled The Billion Dollar Spy. The film is set to be directed and written by Emma Asante, known for 2013 period drama Bell. The film's official synopsis reads as follows. Brad Reed, Army Hammer, is a fresh arrival at the Moscow station of the CIA when he's approached by Soviet engineer Adolf Tolkachev. Mads Mikkelsen. Ignoring the advice from his bosses that Tolkachev is an obvious KGB dangle, Reed develops a bond and unique friendship with the Russian who seemingly only wants to help his family escape the corruption within the Soviet Union. Reed's faith in Tolkachev is rewarded when he hands over a treasure trove of military secrets obtained using classic Cold War spycraft. It earns Tolkachev the nickname the Billion Dollar Spy and alters the balance of power between East and West. But their success in evading the KGB comes at great personal cost to both men and their marriages to wives Tina and Natasha, all struggling with the daily paranoia of being caught. Then one day, a shocking betrayal puts them all in grave danger. This true story picture is set to go into production in Eastern Europe in 2021. And more Army Hammer casting news, he'll be joining Jennifer Lopez in action comedy Shotgun Wedding, a Lionsgate film to be directed by Pitch Perfect Helmer, Jason Moore, and written by New Girl creator Liz Merriweather and Mark Hammer. The plot will have Lopez and Hammer playing a couple who are getting cold feet while at their ultimate destination wedding, which has also brought together their lovable but highly opinionated families. 
What could be worse? Well, how about baddies taking the entire wedding party hostage? Lopez will be among the producing team, as will Ryan Reynolds, who was previously attached to Star and is still currently listed on the Project IMDb's page as a cast member, although nothing's been confirmed on his end. Cameras on Shotgun Wedding are expected to begin rolling in early 2021. That about does it for me guys, thanks so much for having me, be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com for the latest movie and TV news, trailers, reviews, all that jazz. We've also got the latest streaming release schedules for November including Netflix, Stan, Amazon, Shudder, so check out all that screen goodness. Until next week, I'm out of here. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size Edition. Yeah, today we're going to talk about one room whores. That's on the, <laughs> that's on the subject. What's the subject? I don't know. <laughs> and and so by the way, you're no, I'm not gonna do a mom joke. I want to do a mom joke. I'm not gonna do you a mom do joke. Do a mom joke. I've done your mom so much it has become a joke. Talking about your mom would be uh, make Ken Burns baseball look like a short. Shut it's, up. It's a long way to get there. It's a long way to get there. So I one, know we're talking about one room horrors. Now these are horror films that play out in one room. No, I'm not gonna do the Evil Dead. I'll go for Potty Pool. You son of a bitch, Chase is what I picked. <laughs> Seriously? I swear to God, it's pulled up. Let's start this over. I'll do a different one. I had a couple. I in all, fairness, like, oh, nobody will do in all fairness, I was not going to do Pony Pool because I knew James was going to do it. <laughs> it didn't. No, keep going, James. Keep going. I mean, I could jump no, to Feast. No, do it, James. Do oh, it. Oh, I, I don't want do to cut all this later. I could do 1408. I could No, anyway. Uh, Pony Pool. If you've never seen Pony Pool, Pony Pool takes place in a radio station booth. But it's all about um, this, this kind of zombie-esque plague but it's spread by words the disease attaches itself to it so he's a radio shock jock kind of figure and he he is on air as this thing starts to spread and it's just about him dealing with that and dealing with his co-workers and and how the world outside goes crazy as he sits inside the radio booth it was heavily inspired by things like war, the War of the World radio broadcast. If you watch kind of the behind-the-scenes commentary, they bring that up a couple times as being influential. But yeah, Pawnee Pool is one room, but it just builds and builds. If you've never seen Pawnee Pool, it's, it's a lot of fun. You should check out Pawnee Pool. Go, Chad! Okay, so I'm going to do uh, what was what me and uh, our one of our favorite guests, Mick Garris, talked about in a previous episode. Plug, plug, plug. I'm talking about 2015's The Invitation. Plug it up. Yeah, look up our podcast with Mick Garris. 2000, directed by Karen Kusami. Uh, this movie is about a man who's accept, who uh, accepts a dinner invite to a party being held by his ex-wife. And uh, the first half of the movie is all about personal drama, uh, per, you know, history. You think it's actually a legitimate drama film, but then it takes the darkest turn you could ever imagine. So 2015 is the invitation. Go, Joe. All right. Now, some of you are going to shit on me and say that this isn't a horror film, but I've been on a Larry Cohen kick. I highly recommend the documentary about him on Netflix. And Larry Cohen wrote this and got a big paycheck out of it in the 2000s. And it's one of Colin Farrell's best performances. I'm talking about Phone Booth. And if this happens to you, it is a horror film. Oh, you're sitting there and you can get shot at any time, Chad. I think it can be a horrific scenario. So Phone Booth was directed by Joel Schumacher. And Phone Booth takes place in a what, gentlemen? Phone that Booth. Yeah, Rental takes place, car agency. It takes place in a cave. Anyway, <laughs> so he plays a publicist, which are the worst type of people. Actually, accountants are the worst people on earth. But he plays a publicist who finds himself trapped in a phone booth. <laughs> Somewhere a serial killer went, woof. 
cut out of that one. Uh, no, I was like, oh my God, I'll let Hitler off, right? I just said the accountants are the worst people. Unable to leave or receive outside help. He is there held by a sniper who is talking to him on the other line. Now, phone booths don't really exist much anymore. And actually, at the time in 2002, they were starting to go away. In fact, it's a line in the beginning of the movie. Here's one of the things that I find fascinating about that Larry Cohen talked about is that he actually got to go on set. He saw a little bit of it as it was being made. And he called up Joel Schumacher, talked to Joel Schumacher, or several of the producers, and said, the guy who's doing the voice is awful. you got to recast it. This isn't going to work. I don't know who it was. I've not Googled. Now it's not going to work. Well, we're not going to do that. He finally just went to Joel Schumacher and called him up and said, you've got to recast the voice. And he goes, really? You think so? And he goes, yeah, you got to. And they replaced him with Kiefer Sutherland. That movie's amazing and actually one of Kiefer Sutherland's best performances. It's only about an hour and 20 minutes because it does take place in a phone booth, right, gentlemen? But yes, I can make an argument that it is fairly horrific and a great one set piece film. And if you like it and think, I'd like to see that film very similar once again, Cell. Cellular, actually. Cellular. It was also written by Larry Cohen because he got that million-dollar check before the last one. So that's been Bonehead Weekly. Gunsize edition. Yay! Thank you so much. We're out. And that was Chad... Joe James from Bonehead Weekly, a podcast from Kentucky. Um, you should check it out. They have some really cool guests on there, and they managed to get quite in-depth with most of them. Uh, so thanks to them for keeping that one set-in movie discussion going on for a little bit longer. And so, as I said, we're cramming quite a bit into this episode, and we are about to hear my interview with Lloyd Kaufman, um, the guy that you should all know. And if you don't, then you should educate yourself on him and his legacy legacy that is trauma but first of he all was also, man, i just i just butt in he was also a guest at monster fest a couple of years ago so everything uh, revolves and comes back to monster fests and that's a good thing certainly does absolutely well we wouldn't have you here if it didn't <laughs> yeah that's right i guess it's <laughs> literally the only reason why i'd be here <laughs> my my stamp uh, <laughs> on the australian film industry is uh <laughs> deep well i mean and strong well, we've got you know, with you and Jarrett, we may as well be very uh, monster centric. Yeah, I'm just we're just we'll insert that into the uh, into the intro of the show. Uh, brought to you by Fake Shemp <laughs> and Monster Pictures. <laughs> monster Pictures uh, and Monster Fest and and Shutter present <laughs> and Shutter present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to know, Ben, does Troma occupy a place in your heart the way it does mine? Do you have a favorite? It certainly does. I mean, look, Toxic Avenger is. That's mine. Yeah, is is my favorite. It's always going to be. I remember I I hadn't I was introduced to it uh, at uh, I think I was about thirteen, and I was disgusted. I was disgusted by <laughs> the the scene where the scene where like I can handle any kind of violence towards people. Don't care the dog children, but the dog the dog scene. Yeah. Walk the dog, Floyd. I was just like, no, no. <laughs> And it's such an effective moment too. Like oh. they throw that dog across the floor. Yeah, and there's like guts are flying out and stuff like that. Like that is, <laughs> it's genius filmmaking from uh, from Lloyd and Michael. It is phenomenal. But I would, yeah. But I mean, that film has has everything, everything thirteen year old Ben wanted in a film, except for the dog killing scene. <laughs> uh, but then, and after well, that, after after Toxic Avenger, it would have to be. Uh, uh, Tremio and Juliet, because that was the first one I got to see in the cinema. I think at the yeah. old, I think I saw it at the old Lumiere Cinema oh, in uh, in Melbourne gorgeous. before it closed down. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm a I'm a big fan of their eighty stuff. That's like obviously where the nostalgia lies for me. Things like Class yep. of Newcomb High and Surf Nazis Must Die. I used to love that one for some reason. But um Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. And you know what? There's the two that are the, I don't think they're in house trauma films, but they were distributed by. Um one was called Blood Hook. I love that. Yeah, the fishing hook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the and the other one was called Blades, about the killer lawnmower on a golf course. Oh, I, don't, I haven't seen that one. It's like Jaws on a golf course. I always wanted to see Eve's Beach House, which uh, Ooh, I yes. never, I'd, I'd never seen it on a release here. Uh, I'm sure it has been released. And it's, I'm positive it would be on the Troma YouTube channel now. Uh, I always liked their, their, the pre-Toxic Avenger uh, when they were, uh, films, when they were doing like sex comedies, like Waitress. Absolutely. And, uh, yep. Um, uh, stuck it? on you, stuck on you. First turn on, feeling up. Was that one of them? Was feeling Ooh, up? I don't know. No. There's four. I know, um, it's stuck on you. There's the baseball. The first one. turn on. Yeah, first the turn first on. turn on. Uh, feeling up. Yeah. Battle of Love's return, but that's not quite. We had that discussion last time we talked about trauma. Yeah. But um, I'm actually one thing. One of my favorite trauma films of all time, uh, distribution wise, is called Baconhead, and it's a sketch comedy film, and. Right. Uh, Ray Mahoney is the director and I'm going to get him on this show when we have a full length trauma episode. <laughs> Lloyd's going to come back and I'm going to get the director of that one because I just love it. He sings a song in the film called De- um, Quenlan the Detailing Tubist and it's one of the right. funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Well, but, we'll um, have to talk about um, Jakarta, the film with uh, now, of course, because of my memory is the way it is. I can't remember her name, but it's the uh, it's uh, the girl, the Asian girl from... Um, Big Trouble in Little China is the star of it. Yeah, uh, the one who was in Playboy, and it's directed, I believe, by Lloyd's brother, or produced um, by what, Lloyd's brother. Was it Charlie Kaufman? Not Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, but no. What's his name? What's Lloyd Kaufman's brother's name? Yeah, I don't know. I posted. A, <laughs> I posted a picture of it. There was at one point on Instagram. There were there was a like some kind of uh, trauma stack. I think I, I I did a trauma stack because I found my Toxic Avenger action figure. And Troma actually shared the post because it was wow. the it was the first time they'd ever seen anyone talk about Jakarta because I had that in my pile the video the the roadshow VHS tape of it. I could dig it up for you, but uh, his brother also directed Mother's Day. Yeah, you say so. I, I'm yeah, it's not Charles, uh, Charles Kaufman. Charles Kaufman, Charles Kaufman. No, isn't, but isn't Charles Kaufman? Isn't there another Charlie Kaufman that? Uh, did adaptation and oh, isn't that, isn't that, that guy? Isn't head. adaptation it, and isn't that Charles Kaufman? It's a Kaufman. Uh, yeah, it is Charlie Kaufman. So there are two yeah, of them. There's two of them. Yeah, right. Oh, wow, there we go. Well, we got to the bottom of that one. Uh, but <laughs> let's have a listen to my interview with Lloyd. But actually, a piece of trivia before we do. You know the poster uh, for Troma's War? Yes. It's got a commando guy on the front. Yes. That is uh, Chris Kernan, who is Albert Pune's stepson. Oh. And Chris's mother is Cynthia Kernan, who is not only Albert's wife, but his producer on most of his movies. So that's a cool little bit of trivia. Oh, here's another bit of trivia, just tying it into the uh, what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. I believe that Lloyd Kaufman, one of Lloyd Kaufman's first jobs in Hollywood was working on locations for Rocky. And Saturday Night Fever. And Saturday Night Fever, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's all uh, documented in his book, um, Make Your Own Damn Movie. Yeah. No, no, actually, no, the first book, uh, Everything I Need to Know About Filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. 
What a book. What a book. Anyway, now it's time to talk about Troma's latest masterpiece, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. G'day, Lloyd. It's Glenn here. How are you? Oh, Glenn, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for taking the time today to talk. Well, thanks for doing it so uh, late into the uh, evening. <laughs> it's actually um, 7 a.m. here at the moment. Oh, <laughs> it's uh, even worse. <laughs> yeah. Even more dedicated. <laughs> uh, I, look, I want to I want to start off with a question that you probably hear a lot, and I know that the film addresses it, but how, how on earth does trauma survive in today's cancel culture world? We have uh, our fans. We are fan-fueled. Uh, we're the classic cult movie studio in the tradition of Roger Corman and Hammer, uh, and uh, our fans stay with us no matter what, and they... Uh, we actually, even though we only have about 10 employees, uh, only the three of us are over 30, uh, our fans make us into a, a corporation with uh, hundreds of employees because they book our movies, they do publicity, they, uh, some of them invest uh, knowing they're gonna lose money. Um, some of them, uh, and many of them are, uh, Tromeo, uh, <laughs> hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm is uh, all fans. Every every one out of them, uh, from the director of photography to uh, the uh, the background people, who we call uh, actor persons, we don't call them extras. So and and the major uh, team of uh, Hollywood people who came in from Hollywood and from Europe, they all work for about ten percent of what they usually get. So we've made a twenty million dollar movie for about half a million U.S. dollars, actually less than half a million U.S. dollars. Well, thanks to our fans. And in terms of, you know, the world today is a lot more sensitive and that whole cancel culture, which you, you talk about in the film. I mean, how do you survive against that? Like, you know, everyone wants to cancel everything that's offensive these days. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think I've been canceled several times. <laughs> again, it's, we don't have a huge fan base, but the ones we have uh, stay with us mm. no matter what. As Trump says... Uh, he could shoot uh, somebody on Fifth Avenue and his fans would still support him. Uh, probably uh, my much smaller constituency uh, will stick with me. We'll see um, because uh, we have an election coming up between two rotten eggs. And, uh, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, I'm urging people to vote. But in New York State, where uh, hashtag settle for Biden is going to get 90 percent of the vote, I couldn't bring myself to vote for him. And I'm sure mm. a lot of people would be pissed off about that. I voted for the Green Party because I know that Biden will win New York State, so it doesn't really matter. But he's a scumbag, and so is Trump. So I voted for the Green Party. Excellent. <laughs> and I know, look, I don't, I don't want to harp on the, the cancel culture stuff because, um, you know, I think Disgusting. you're Disgusting. Right. I agree. It's horrible. Yeah. At least in our country. I don't know how it is in Australia, but... Uh, in our country, uh, we have free speech as long as we don't say anything. Luckily, we have about a million people in, uh, who follow our various traumas, uh, social and my fan site and all that stuff, who, who uh, believe in truth, uh, hashtag truth and love, hashtag truth and love. That's a really good way to look at things. Absolutely. I think you've answered my next question because I was going to say one of your alumni, um, James Gunn, fell victim to the whole cancel culture before bouncing back triumphantly. And do you have a strategy against it or you just forge ahead as you always have? Well, I, I, 
I have to admit in this uh, ridiculous situation that we have in our country, I do think about uh, a little more about what I say. And, uh, you know, in case uh, people might misinterpret this, this, my voting for the Green Party, I, if I didn't explain it, I'm sure I would get a lot of Twitter hate. You know, the people who don't like Trump would hate me. But I explained yeah, that yeah. in New York State, it doesn't matter. And I'm sure that the people who are hashtag settle for Biden, uh, I'm sure they will understand that. You know, yes, we got to get rid of Trump, but New York, Biden's going to win 90 percent of the vote. So uh, my voting for the Green Party, it doesn't affect the outcome. Yeah, right. Even though it's disgusting, the, what we have, the choice. Uh, Michael Moore says uh, it's a choice mm -hmm. of uh, the lesser of two evils. And he is correct. Yes. And in terms of um, hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm, what triggered the idea in your mind in the, in the beginning? Where did this film come from? Well, the things you're talking about, but I think what pushed it over the line is there's a video on YouTube uh, which uh, shows at my alma mater, Yale University, which uh, is uh, supposedly one of the better universities, and these uh, crowd of uh, politically, co whatever you want to call them, snowflakes, uh, social justice <laughs> warriors, they're literally lynching a Nobel-winning scientist who also has written a bestseller, and uh, that was it. That pushed me over the line because there was no, here's, these are kids, basically, and they're screaming at this guy. Uh, Yale put out a letter that uh, taught, told the students, the most intelligent students in the, in the U.S. of A, perhaps, uh, what to wear on Halloween. And uh, this scientist's wife, wrote, who also is a professor, wrote an open letter saying, gee, I don't think uh, Yale students need to be told what to wear on Halloween. Things like don't wear a Mexican hat, don't don't uh, wear Chinese uh, uh, pigtail, uh, don't uh, fuck them, uh, you know. And that <laughs> suggestion was well, the suggestion was to go as uh, where's Elmo, which is a, <laughs> uh, a children's book. So this woman put an open letter, and uh, boy, she got uh, she got lynched, and uh, her husband faced a very angry crowd, trying to debate them, trying to have an intelligent, uh, you know, he's a superstar professor. And they yeah. wouldn't even let, you know, they literally uh, lynched him uh, metaphorically. Uh, uh, you know, they say things like, I, I, I don't want an education. I just want a home. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> absurd. And that's, that's Yale University. So uh, that pushed me over the line. And The Tempest is my favorite movie of Shakespeare, my favorite Shakespearean play. Yep. Got, uh, you know, it's very druggy. It's got a monster. It's uh, got an old man, which to whom I can relate very, very well. And I would have done The Tempest when we did Tromeo and Juliet, written by James Gunn. But um, I wanted to wait until I could really feel Prospero's uh, agony, Prospero's uh, uh, issues. And uh, boy, do I feel them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and also, you know, the magic, too. Prospero was big on magic. And, you know, my magic is making movies. So uh, I, 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 Prospero definitely uh, uh, entered my, uh, my soul. Wow. And as a long-serving fan, um, I was particularly thrilled to see that Shakespeare Shitstorm is possibly your biggest throwback to trauma of the 80s. Was that something you intended? No, actually, I didn't. But uh, everybody on the movie were fans. And we had a very long rehearsal period and pre-production period. So when we got to the set, we were very well prepared so that uh, people could uh, improvise. And they, they would say, hey, why doesn't she... Uh, uh, I can't, uh, the the uh, Chinese warlord uh, had a played a ukulele, a ukulele. She's an opera singer, 
And uh, I told her, bring the ukulele, maybe we'll work it in. And then somebody said, why don't you sing the Sergeant Kabuki Man's theme song? And it just so happened that day that the guy who plays the evil one in Sergeant Kabuki Man was on the set. Then we had some production assistants who loved Citizen Toxie. And uh, when uh, we got to the scenes with Prospero's uh, retreat, they put on uh, diapers like the diaper mass, uh, the diaper mafia in Citizen Toxie. And uh, uh, so the, the the people really on the on the on our crew and on our cast uh, uh, came up with a lot of uh, nostalgia. It was didn't come from me. Well, it was it was amazing to watch. Uh, I, I think it's it's possibly one of your your best looking films to date. And um, I'm just about out of time. I just wanted to ask finally: Has the pandemic affected Troma? And what does 2021 look like for you guys? Well, uh, you know, it hasn't changed us in that our main goal is survival. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, uh, if, I think it's helped us because we've uh, 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 the subscriber base for our streaming service, which is called Troma Now. And if any of your fans would like to support truly independent film, subscribe to Troma now. You go to watch.troma.com, and it's a uh, 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 it's uh, all uh, movies of the future, visionary movies, truly independent movies, and uh, not like Village Roadshow. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're great. They're great. Uh, we've had no survive. We've had absolutely no subscribers who have uh, left us. So uh, help us there. And uh, uh, so I think in that regard, uh, uh, the COVID thing may have uh, increased our uh, streaming service subscribers. As far as theatrical distribution, uh, unfortunately, Mutant Blast, got, uh, got to, we had to close it in Los Angeles. We were doing pretty well. And, uh, but uh, the, <laughs> that weekend, uh, we had to go, the, guy, the director who's from Portugal and I from New York had to run away from Los Angeles. Otherwise, we would have gotten stranded there. Well, Lloyd, um, you should be really proud of this one. It's got everything that fans should want. It's vibrant. It's more colorful than ever. And it, surely it boasts the first on-screen whale defecation shower in cinema's history. So they have that to look forward to. But thanks so much for taking the time, mate. Well, here's Toxie lips, listening to everything, the Toxic Avenger, which uh, actually wrote Village Roadshow when they were actually a, a real distribution company, uh, they introduced to the Australian market. Unfortunately, they've become part of Warner Brothers, so, who is now part of a telephone company. So uh, fuck them. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen, and this week I won't be reviewing something. Instead, I will be telling you what my exposure to trauma was. Now, this really weird thing happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, I was very susceptible to movie marketing, right? And I had to have tie-in toys. What I would do is I would go to Big W and I would be in the toy aisle and I would be just obsessed with like these boxes and the images on them. And I have no reference point because I actually hadn't seen the film that the toys were based on. So I would buy these toys, I would make this speculative universe and I'd make them interact. And sometimes it wasn't until like a decade later that I was actually like searching out these films and watching them that I knew what the hell was really going on. So I went to Big W and I nagged my mum. I had to have Toxie, right? I just needed to have this toy. And I was like, okay, he's really good at cleaning because he's got like this mop. And I had no idea who he or the Toxic Crusaders were in any regard. Um, And so I just threw him in with my Captain Planet toys, with my He-Man toys and all those things. And uh, this would happen to me quite a bit. Like I 
got a Robocop toy way before I even saw the Robocop movie. And so I was really curious about what this kind of blade, you know, in his hand was. I didn't realize it was for slashing throats. So I'm sure that if there was another parent who had grown up watching Troma and it was, you know, had seen the Toxic Avenger and then would see me, you know, like this, like, you know, three-year-old kid or four-year-old kid, you know, like just really passionately playing with this toxic toy they'd be disturbed the thing that i had really really bad parents but um yeah so i mean it was it was very interesting to reconcile my imagination meets the reality of these films uh, probably the the biggest thing i had to reconcile was I, until i saw you know i'd pick up the trauma covers and i was really confused because i'm like okay like why has toxic got these really hot woman with him with a bikini next to him <laughs> so that was the element that i had to discover for myself when i was a teenager so that that's me and trauma and where it all began Thank you to Adam for playing along there with our tail end trauma theme. Uh, heaps of fun. Toxic Avenger, you can't go past it. But a huge thank you to Lloyd Kaufman. Some of you might have been a little bit frustrated that we only scratched the surface with him, but do not worry. As I said, my little Tromites, Lloyd will be back for an entire trauma themed episode at a latter date. Hopefully it won't be too far away. And that has pretty much taken us to the end of the show. Ben, what a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really... I had a bit of a brain, I, had a bit of a brain fart there. I was I was thinking of the uh, lunar drive-in. Just that uh, was not a brain fart. That was me not indicating I was about to throw to you. No, I was like I was literally thinking about uh, my comments about the lunar drive-in, and uh, then you yeah you mentioned the whirlwind, and I was like completely taken taken off guard. Just get that popcorn out of your mind, mate, and off my lap. <laughs> so next week on the show everybody we have uh justin dix the director of blood vessel which is the high seas gothic vampire film that played at monster fest another monster fest alumni and heck i guess uh, we might even be talking about the uh the release of it on vhs which happened as well so that's cool yeah i was i didn't even know that it would come out on vhs but that's yeah. uh that's pretty awesome <laughs> i do love how how during monster fest is when all the films from last year's Monster Fest are getting their release. <laughs> well, you know, you can you can use that to your advantage, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, The Wretched coming out on uh, Home Entertainment <laughs> if it hasn't already. Harpoon already has. That was pretty good. I can't remember anything else that what else played. Ready or not, had it. It's more reason for people like us to be talking about these films and Monster Fest at once. Certainly, certainly. And uh, before we go... Uh, Lots of thanks must be given, of course, the usual suspects. You've got Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, and the guys from Boathead Weekly, Joe, Chad, and James. But also, thanks to Luna Drive-In. Head over to their website, check out what's screening, and get along to watch some movies. Our friends at Eagle Entertainment, they have stuck with us since the start, and we couldn't be more grateful. So please visit their website, eagleentertainment.com.au. Uh, so many great films, and they have an online store, so go over there and get clicking. Cheers to our guest, David Marmer. He was pretty awesome guy and his film apartment 1br is well worth the time so remember there's also a chance to win a copy so just rewind the episode if you've forgotten how and david will be on rapid fire with me tomorrow night tuesday 6 p.m check it out and big love to uncle lloyd kaufman for talking about shakespeare shitstorm i can't wait for you guys to see that one they just keep coming ben then there's stack magazine and monster pictures who help make tonight's interviews possible so massive thanks to them and ben you probably thought i'd never get to you mate but thank you, sir. <laughs> oh no, you're most welcome. It's another one in the bag. Another one in the bag, fun. and I would I would like to leave listeners with uh, my thought of the day that uh, opinions are like assholes. I've got a big one. <laughs> well, I can't even argue with that. There is no fault in your logic, my friend. <laughs> 
I'll show you. I'll show you on the video. I'll prove it. And uh, you may have noticed there were no recommendations on this episode uh, towards at the end of the show, but that's because we're going to save that for our Thursday night video. So make sure you find us on uh, YouTube and Facebook for that one. Most importantly, thank you to everybody listening. We hope you have a great week. Here's a song to cap off our little mini Tromathon. Uh, I don't know if this is an awful song or if it's an amazing song, but either way, it's cheesy as fuck. Enjoy it. It's called Alive. It's by Chris DeMarco, and it's from the soundtrack to Troma's War. We'll catch you next week. I'm over my head I'm singing